Got a good question for you. We're in our Unstoppable Force series, part 13. How would you feel if somebody just tried to throw you into prison for no good reason and was there when one of your friends was murdered and gave his approval for that murder? How would you feel if that person all of a sudden gave their life to Jesus? This person that had caused you pain, this person that tried to unjustly harm you or your family, has already approved of the killing of one of your friends, your brothers. Would you trust that person if they came to Jesus? Would you want them to be in your home or your church? Let me ask this. Is there somebody in your life that you have a really hard time accepting that if they were to come to Jesus, you'd be okay with that? I know I've heard different people talk about it, that, that they really struggled when Jeffrey Dahmer came to Christ years ago. You remember the mass murderer, Jeffrey Dahmer, came to Christ in prison. Man, a lot of people were really upset about that. It's a hard thing. It's a hard place. But this is exactly what happened in the early church. We're in Acts chapter 9. We've been walking on this journey since the beginning of the year with the birth of the church. We've been following the disciples from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and he promised the, the Holy Spirit to us. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out and we see the church birthed. And then you fast forward a little bit. You fast forward a little bit and we see persecution start to happen. We see Stephen getting stoned because he's following Jesus. They stoned him as he preached the word to them and, and he showed them who Jesus was. And there was a guy there by the name of Saul. And it says that those that stoned Stephen laid their garments at Saul's feet. Now we're going to pick up Saul's story in, in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see where this goes. See, this whole journey is about us being disciples. Do you realize that that birth that happened more than 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 2 is us continuing that story today? We are in that lineage. As believers in Christ, we are a part of that same family line. We are believers that are expanding the church today. We are disciple makers. And then there's this guy, Saul. And we want to pick up with this. I called this message doing hard things, doing hard things. So here we're going to pick up. It's a long passage. So please bear with me on this. And we're in Acts chapter nine, verse one. And we're going to read through verse 19, but it tells this story. And then we're going to talk about it a little bit. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation and arrest of any followers of the way he found there. The way was what they called Christians at that time. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem and change. So here's Saul. He's going to the high priest to get permission to arrest men and women and bring them back to Jerusalem to be thrown into prison, some even to be killed. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now vision that, man. He had people walking with him and none of them could see this. It's just crazy. So the men with Saul stood speechless for they had heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he could see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might again or might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this story before. And I I imagine some of you have never heard this story at all. But what a fantastic story this guy saw, who we had just seen be there for the martyrdom of Stephen, which we talked about a couple weeks ago about the explosion of the church out of that one instance. Because the persecution started, the people fled. But when they fled, they shared the gospel of Jesus everywhere they went. And the church continued to grow through that experience. Now, Saul went on a mission. He was, he was what was known as a zealot. Somebody that was super hyper, radically focused on following God. He was a Pharisee, which we've talked about the Pharisees before. If you've never heard that term, they were the religious elite. They were the ones that followed the letter of the law. Man, they were the tough ones. And actually, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, most of the conflict or most of the condemnation that Jesus gave to anybody was to the Pharisees because they were religious without relationship. They knew the law. Man, they would tell you when you did something wrong and they would rebuke you for it, tell you how bad you were. But Jesus said, look, you guys don't even keep the law yourselves. So, Saul was one of those. He was trained under this guy by the name of Gamiel. He was a disciple of him. And Gamiel was one of the leading men, but he was really wise. And and Saul knew his stuff. He was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he was going to wipe out this cult that they believed was Christianity because they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. 
So they thought and Saul thought that he was doing God's will. That he was wiping it out because he didn't have that relationship with God that he really needed. He was just following that law and he did not see the connection between Jesus and the prophecies of the Messiah. So on the road to Damascus, while he's going to put believers in prison, go in to drag them out of their homes and even approve of them being killed, Jesus gets his attention. You know, we hear those lights from heaven moments shining down. And that's what happened. And, and Jesus spoke to Saul directly. Got his attention. Do you think if Jesus spoke to you directly, it'd get your attention? I've never had that physical experience could not imagine i you know i've heard of uh stories of muslims that jesus has appeared to in dreams that is changing the muslim world i've heard several stories of that that's what happened to saul jesus physically came down and said saul why are you persecuting me and I want you to connect to catch the connection here. Now, was he physically persecuting Jesus? No, Jesus said ascended into heaven. We as the church, the body of Christ, Jesus related us to him because we are connected to him. So when we are persecuted, Jesus is being persecuted. We are the body of Christ. We are believers. We're his disciples. Get that connection for a minute. As a follower of Christ, we're connected to him in that way, such an intimate way. Now, if you've heard this story before, if you've heard it preached before, you've probably heard it preached about Saul and his conversion, which is pretty amazing. But that's not who I'm going to focus on today. I'm not focused on Saul. We're going to talk about Saul a lot over the next few weeks. Um, you're going to find out that Saul later becomes Paul and writes most of the New Testament. But I want to focus on Ananias for a minute. That's why I called this message doing hard things, because Ananias was asked by Jesus to do something incredibly difficult, something I'm not sure that any one of us would have the strength to do. I hope that we would, but we don't know until we're in those situations. I want to focus on Ananias and his journey through this and what happened. How do you think you would respond if you were Ananias, if you had this vision which God does speak to us in visions. He doesn't do it as much now. I don't think we're open to it as much now, but God does speak to us in visions. Joel talked about it, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will have visions. How did he respond? A couple things I want to point out of this, and this has come out of this series a lot. He was available. Ananias was available. That's the first point today. We've had that as a point many times because a part of the thing for us in our relationship with God is just being available to what God has for us. Being open, not so focused on everything that we have on our agenda that we don't take time to ask God what he has for us. To listen. He was available. We don't know much about Ananias, but we do know he's available. In verse 10, it says this, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. I want you to do something if you've got a physical Bible handy or if you've got the Bible on your phone or copy of the notes. I want you to highlight or underline the word believer there. 
I want you to connect why this is so important, because from the beginning of this series, we've been talking about us as the disciples of Christ being disciple makers. You that are watching this, you are not a spectator in Christianity. You are an active participant. Now, Ananias, this man that Jesus sent over to pray with Saul, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a leader in the church. It says that he was a believer. That's all that qualified him to do it. So if you are a believer... If you are a follower of Christ, that could be you. There is no difference. Even me as a pastor, I am no different than you or anyone else that follows Christ. We're following Christ together. I have a different role in the situation. My job is to equip you to go do what Ananias did. And to be obedient myself. He was a believer. Wasn't an apostle, wasn't a a pastor. He was an average person that followed Christ, who had a vision. He was being ready. He was praying. He was spending time with God. You know, this there's something that, that we've been an undertone of all of this. I could say it in every message because it's that important. We have to be actively connected to God for God to be able to do anything in our lives. For us to fulfill that mission that he has for us, we have to be praying. We have to be spending time in his word. We have to be spending time together so that we can learn and grow together so that we can hear the voice of God. Because many times the voice of God speaks to the people through the people around us speaks to us through his word, and sometimes like this in visions or just through the urgings. I've been reading Jeremiah in my own personal devotions. And what Jeremiah talked about, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he said, I tried not to share the words that God had given me, but it was like a fire shut up in my bones. I had to speak the words. To be walking with God so much, to have that impression upon him so much. I've had that. I've had it where God has just given me such a strong impression to go speak to somebody or to say something to somebody that I couldn't not do it. I know that's a double negative. But I had to go and share those words. I had to take that step. That's what was happening here. Ananias was available to what the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. He was ready for whatever God had for him. God loves to use ordinary people. God loves to use any one of us that call ourselves believers. It's not just the charismatic. Actually, sometimes the charismatic are so dangerous because sometimes they can use their own talents to do things and forget to get bring God along on the journey. See, the key is that we rely on him, that we put our full trust in him. And then when he guides us, there's nothing we can't do that he asks us to do. Ananias made himself available. Second thing is he was obedient. He was obedient. This is the part that I really want to drill in on. Obedience. Being obedient to what God asks us to do. Being obedient to follow him in our lives, in our everyday lives. 
It's the key to Christianity. We have this relationship with God, but we wonder, well, why am I not doing these things? Well, we've got to be obedient. Ananias was available, but he was also obedient. This is often that missing piece in our spiritual walk is the obedience. We think, oh, somebody else will do it. Oh, we've got professionals that will do that. Nothing more frustrating to me as a pastor when I walk into a room and they ask me to pray and they're like, oh, we'll let the professional do it. No, I'm not a professional prayer. I pray because I need to live. It's as important as air and as food, actually more important. Not a professional prayer. It's a part of life. It's a part of who I am. Obedience. You ever felt prompted to do something that was outside your comfort zone? Man, those are the things that we often balk at when God whispers in your ear and impresses upon you to talk to the person in line at the grocery store or go to a meeting that you feel a little uncomfortable going to or talking to a neighbor that, that maybe kind of rubs you the wrong way. Those are the difficult times. But Ananias was told by God, think about this situation. Look at his response to God for a minute. In verses 13 and 14, it says, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So Jesus comes to you and says, hey, you know what? We've got that mass murderer over there. You know, he's not even arrested. He had an encounter with me on the road. He's over there. I want you to go talk to him. Go disciple him. Go pray for him. Would you be apprehensive? I probably would. But Ananias was obedient. He asked the question. You know what? God wasn't upset about the question. God wasn't upset that the Ananias questioned God in this. He, he knew that God knew who Saul was. He knew the things that Saul was doing. And yet Ananias took a step back and questioned God for a minute. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God, this doesn't add up. Should I get a bulletproof vest? Is he going to be, you know, what, what do I need to do? But he was obedient. The bottom line that in spite of his apprehensiveness, he obeyed God and went. And I know some of you here have been apprehensive at times, but you took a step out of obedience anyway. It's made huge gains in your life. It's made a huge difference in your life. Maybe it was meeting somebody new. Maybe it was walking into the church for the first time. Or the second. Or the third. Building relationships. Whatever that is, you were obedient. I want to commend you for that. That's what Ananias, he was being obedient. Maybe the stakes were a little bit higher. This is a guy that had permission to arrest him was authorized by the high priest, the leading priest, to arrest him, 
totally different culture at that time. It wasn't just the Roman government or the police that could arrest them, the soldiers. The church could also arrest them, and they, the, they had their own jail system. Totally different culture than we were in. But he was obedient. This made me think as I was going through this. Some of you may be familiar with the Old Testament story of Jonah. We've put it in nurseries and things like that. Jonah and the whale. I don't know why these things end up as kids' stories. Absolutely horrifying. The man. It's only four chapters in the Bible. If you have not read the book of Jonah, you need to read it. But God went to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. And told Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them about me. Tell them that they need to repent and turn back to me. Jonah didn't like Nineveh. So you know what Jonah did? Nineveh's over here. Jonah went over there. And he got on a ship and he sailed away. You know what God did? God sent a storm. Man, things were the waves were, the, the ship is about to break apart. I don't know if you've ever been out to sea during a storm. I had the opportunity to be out to sea during a hurricane. Not a fun experience. The ship was being thrown, it looked like it was going to be torn apart. And Jonah recognized that it was God doing this. And he told the people, look, just throw me overboard. I'm the, I'm the cause because I'm running from God. And so eventually, and I'm, I'm shortening this up, they throw him overboard and a giant fish. We always say Jonah and the whale, just a giant fish swallows him. It's big enough to swallow a manhole, probably a whale. Who knows what it was? And during that time, Jonah prays a prayer, acknowledging that he's made a mistake, just asking for God's mercy. God has the fish spit him out on the shore. And Jonah gets the message. You know, he was obedient after a little bit. Have you ever been that way? You know, you, you, you're disobedient at first because you really don't want to do something, but eventually because you realize that you've just kind of jacked it up that you're going to be obedient anyway, it's, it shows the patience of God. We saw the patience of God with Ananias when Ananias questioned, but we really see the patience of God with Jonah. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches that, look, you need to turn your life back to God or he's going to come and destroy the city. That's what the words were. God's going to come and wipe you out if you don't turn to him. You know what the people in Nineveh did? They went into a time of mourning and turned their hearts to God, called out to God, did exactly what Jonah told them to do. You know what Jonah did? He got ticked off. He was angry that people turned to God. He even said to God, man, I don't know why God didn't just smite Jonah. I don't, I don't have a clue. You hear about God smiting people. If it had been me, I'd have been like... Well, who are you? But Jonah says, God's, God's looking at him like, I don't get this. Jonah was mad. He goes, I knew you were a merciful God, and I knew that you would save them. That's why I didn't want to come. That was his reasoning. He's a prophet. I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, I do some pretty stupid things, but he was so angry with the people of Nineveh that he didn't want to see them have the good things of God. We see it with racial tension. I'll call you. 
let's look at our hearts a little bit. Maybe you've seen somebody of a different race and you don't want to see them have the good things. You're going to say, oh, well, that wasn't me. But think about your actions. Think about your heart sometimes. These are things we wrestle with. If you've seen somebody that hurt somebody really bad, if you've seen somebody that hurt somebody really bad, it's hard to reconcile them having the same relationship that you do with the Savior. We hear stories of this all the time with missionaries where they've gone off and working with tribes in really unknown locations. And the tribes, sometimes cannibals, have killed their whole family. And the sons have gone back and shared the gospel with those same people that killed their family. Wives going back. Husbands going back because they're driven by the love of God, even for those that have hurt them the most. That's the redemption of, the, of Jesus. I want you to look at this story for a little bit. Jonah 4, 1 through 4. I just want to read this last little bit because I think it puts things into perspective. Jonah 4, verse 1 says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with your unfailing love. I'm going to pause there for a second. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you can see you could be like, well, why was God so brutal? Why, you know, was there so much killing in the wars and all those things? But you know, what you don't understand, you have to look at this in the terms of history. God would often send prophets into the land for 40, 50, 60 years, and they wouldn't turn back. And eventually, to get their attention, he would go in and do it. But even then, he was still merciful. God has always been merciful. says, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Man, Jonah had a heart issue. He so hated the people of Nineveh that he would rather be dead than to see them come to know God. That's rough. So I don't think that's either one of us. If it is, you need to repent. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? I think it's just crazy. We get angry about things that God does sometimes because maybe he does save somebody that has hurt us. We have a hard time. Maybe somebody in the church has hurt you and you have a hard time with forgiveness. There's bitterness Bitterness is like a cancer. When you don't let it go, it just eats away at your insides. And it only hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. It only hurts you. That anger. That's where Jonah was. Listen to the rest of this conversation in verses 9 through 11. So then God said to Jonah, 
is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Now I didn't, I didn't give you this part. So I'll back up for a second. Jonah complained to God. He did all these things. He went up on a hill because really actually what he did is he went up on a hill to watch God destroy the city. And then people turned back to God. It was hot up on that hill desert type area and God grew a giant plant over Jonah to shade him and Jonah was relieved I mean a plant grew up like instantly over him and then a worm came and ate that plant and killed it almost as quickly as it grew and Jonah was so angry about that again he said I just wish I would have died I was like it's fail safe such a complaint now look at verse 9. It says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die. What a whiner. I'm sorry. That's just what I get when I picture this. I don't, I could have probably been the same person. But what a whiner. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's a gut punch right there for Jonah. Sometimes God asks us to do uncomfortable things because he's trying to reach a people that are in spiritual darkness, that are lost and broken. Sometimes he asks us to go places that are outside of our comfort zone, not without wisdom, not say walk into, you know, a back alley out behind a club some night just because you thought it was a great idea. No, the Holy Spirit needs to be leading you in those places but we need to be obedient when God's asking us to. We need to be obedient when God lays something on our hearts to follow through, to be like Jeremiah, where it's like a fire shut up in our bones that, that I have to share, I have to go, I have to do, because it's so important, it's, it's just a part of us. And that comes out of being available to God, that comes out of being in our relationship with God, that He can use us in that way. And so, Going into these hard places, loving these hard people. Some of you guys will remember we did a study on Sunday nights uh, using Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always. And it was about loving difficult people, people that we don't like, people that annoy us. It's okay that people annoy you. You can still love them. There are a lot of people on this planet that annoy me, that rub me the wrong way, but I still have to love them. And I can't be ticked off with God if they come to Christ. I can't be ticked off to God, with God if God chooses to bless them. Who am I? What right do I have? That's really what Jesus was telling, or what God was telling Jonah. What right do you have to say whether I do anything with Nineveh or not? What right do you have to say if I just choose to grow a plant here and then have that plant die? Who are you? I really hope that Jonah got the point. But I do know this. We see the compassion and mercy of God. We see somebody that was available. Ananias, going back to our story, Ananias did the same thing. He saw somebody that, that he was afraid of. 
in the sense of, look, this guy finds me, I could go to jail. I could be killed. Trusting God and being obedient to God doesn't mean that there isn't an element of fear there. We're human. That's why they fled so they wouldn't have to go through the persecution, but God used that. Sometimes God just tells us to stand. But a part of our nature, God gave us fear. It's a part of the emotions that we have. Ananias didn't know what to do with Saul, but he was obedient. And he went. And here's where I want you to, the last little point today. If you look at verses 17 through 19 of chapter 9, we're going to wrap up this section. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, and I want you to underline this next word, Brother Saul. Now, if you've been in church a long time, man, for years, it was brother and sister, especially if you've been in Pentecostal circles, that, that, that brother or sister was almost like a first name. You went into church, hey, it's, it's brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. It was kind of a, a form of greeting, a form of respect. Because here's the key to this, though. We don't do it anymore. It, it sounds kind of old, but that's okay. He's saying to this man that was commissioned by the leading priest and so zealous to wipe out the church that he came to kill them or to imprison them. He's saying, brother, do you get that? The significance of that word? That's like him wrapping his arms around Saul and saying, you're a part of this. You're my brother. And I love you. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. beauty of that moment. I believe that Saul already had that experience with Jesus where he had come to him. When Jesus announced who he was on the road, I think it changed Saul. The next step was the obedience of both Saul and Ananias. Jesus told Saul to go to Damascus and wait for Ananias. He did. And he prayed. Ananias, having a vision, went to somebody that he didn't want to go to. Unlike Jonah, Jonah ran. God still got him there. God's will will be done. One way or another, I'm sure the experience that Jonah had going inside of a whale was probably not on his top 10 travel list. But he got there. And I hope that Jonah had a heart change. But Ananias being obedient, being a follower of Jesus, being obedient, being in the word, having a relationship with Jesus, even though he questioned, he was obedient. Saul's life after that moment 
change the world. So sometimes when God asks us to go do hard things, it changes us, but it also changes everything around us. And the person that God may be asking us to reach out to or the thing that God may be asking us to do to go into these hard places, to do these hard things, could have a giant impact. Could have a giant impact on the community. Could have a giant impact on your life, on that person's life. You could see not only that person saved, but many saved afterwards. Many come to know Jesus. You never know the impact of our obedience. But I guarantee you this, if we won't be obedient, God will make a way. That's not an out for us. I'd rather be a part of that obedience. I want to be celebrated by Jesus. So are there hard things that God's asking you to do? Are there times where you feel a little uncomfortable? Maybe there's a person that God's laid on your heart that you absolutely don't want to talk to because they drive you insane or they've hurt you desperately. But yet God's asking you to be fervent in prayer for them, to pray over them, to speak kind words to them, to love them, even though they don't return it to you. You know, Jesus himself said it's easy to love somebody that loves you. The hard part is to love somebody that won't love you back. But we're to love them. We're to pray over them. We're to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you. I want you to pray. We've been talking about this. You should be writing down in a notebook names of people that you're praying over, that you want to see come to Christ, people that you're building relationships with, people that are in your world that you're praying over. Ask God to give you the strength to do the hard things. Ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that when He does prompt you, you know when to move. Because part of this whole puzzle is, is the Holy Spirit it's kind of like a chessboard is moving the pieces in place so that people can know, come to have a relationship with Jesus. I can't save anybody. Only the Holy Spirit can. But I can be obedient and be a part of the process. And when we are obedient and Jesus is moving those pieces around, when we are obedient, we see lives changed. We see the world changed. Actually, some of the greatest preachers throughout history were some of the worst people before they came to Christ. a gentleman that I'm acquainted with out in Springfield, Missouri, released a book that said, uh, man, if I'm going to remember, there's a couple books written like this, but talked about how his prison cell became his pulpit. And he's now pastoring a very thriving church in Springfield, Missouri that that he started, that he's reaching out to addicts and felons. That's on his sign, addicts, felons, prostitutes, welcome. He gets saved in prison. God radically changed his life, and there are hundreds of lives that have been changed because of that experience. Now, we don't have to have our, my testimony isn't that I got saved in prison or anything like that, but I can tell you this, my sin is just as great. And if it wasn't for the forgiveness and the love of Jesus, I wouldn't be saved. 
Two things, be available. Walk in a relationship with Jesus where you're praying, where you're reading his word, where you're involved in his church body so that you're available when he needs you, when he calls you. So you're not a Jonah running the other way. Even if you question and say, God, are you really saying that? That's okay. God doesn't have a problem with that. But when God says, yeah, that's what I'm saying, to be obedient. God never intended for you to sit on your couch or in a chair or a pew or whatever and watch Christianity, to be observers or to be participants. We've got a very observer culture. Man, you see a fight happening on the side of the road, you see a car accident, you see two people helping, you see 50 people videoing. We're an observer culture. God's asking us to put the phones down and to go do To be a part, not a spectator. Let me pray over you today. And if you need prayer, please click on that button and pray. If, if you're just asking that God, for us to pray with you, that God would be able to move on your heart to fill you with the Holy Spirit, for you to be able to be obedient in that way. If you're struggling, or maybe maybe you relate more with Saul and you just need a Jesus experience. You need to, to, to feel that redemption. Just click on the prayer button. Let us pray with you. It's a totally private conversation. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful to be in your presence today. Lord, I ask right now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would encourage and strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that for those of us that relate more to Saul, I pray that you would change our hearts and lives today, that we would have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient like Ananias, that we would have a deep relationship with you, to be full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you help us to have the strength to do hard things, to go to hard places, to have hard conversations through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us that boldness, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today.